Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Hello there, Brett Phillips, host of The First Serve. It's great to have you listening to our podcast version. We are live every Monday night, 6 o'clock Eastern, on the SCN radio network, and you can be involved in our live shows with myself and Sam Groth on 1300 736 736. But we know that that time doesn't always suit everyone. This is why we produce the podcast version, so sit back and enjoy our latest show. Feel free to share it with people and tell more people about it. And make sure you check out our website frequently during the week, thefirstserve.com. Plenty of content there, podcasts and written content as well. I'll let you uh, get stuck into our podcast. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Hello everyone and welcome to another big edition of The First Serve. It is your home of tennis every Monday night here on SCM. We've moved an hour earlier from our usual 7 o'clock time slot in a raft of programming adjustments across the station throughout this uh, pandemic period, this crazy period for all of us. So we will settle in here for a little while until business resumes as normal whenever that may be. Brett Phillips is my name. I'm joined, of course, by the 2015 Newcomb medalist, owner of the fastest serve ever recorded on tour in the history of the sport we love, Sam Groth. Uh, Grothy, I can actually see you tonight. We have visual contact, a little bit of cheer-cheer, the red and the white. You've got uh, the cap uh, backwards. How's life, my friend? How are you coping? I'm just coping, mate. It's a bit... Uh... It's an interesting time. It's good to be able to see you, though. That's true. At least we've got a little bit of face-to-face contact tonight, yeah. and I'm pretty happy in one way that we're not playing tennis. No one's going to break my record this year, it looks like, so that's one positive. <laughs> I can hold on to that for a little bit longer. That's uh, going to hold for a little while. Now, I just want to get into the very important stuff. Observations of you on uh, social media. In fact, I mean, we're all observing each other on social media, and credit to those who are just going out on a, a creative limb, but you've been, uh, you've been building, but... You also posed a fascinating question on social media yesterday. How early is too early to have a drink on a Sunday? Can you just give me some of the feedback that you got on that? Oh, well, the feedback was it's never too early on a Sunday. I can tell you that. Everyone was pretty keen. (laughs) I think everyone's in that sort of mood. And I was uh, tasked by myself of creating the best possible birthday I could for my wife to birthday today. So wishing her a happy birthday. But I um yeah I hit the I hit a ball of rum pretty early and I had the task of trying to get about 800 balloons blown up and I filled our study with with balloons for her today so I that was a nice little that. surprise yeah nice happy birthday to you Britt and yeah and that was a great surprise you've uh, you've outdone yourself I noticed the lab got in too just trying to sniff around <laughs> to see if there's any treats yeah, she had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Speaking of social media, Grothy, you can disagree here, but I I reckon best on ground of the tour level players has to go to Stan the Man. I'm enjoying watching what he's putting out there, and there's more than one Stan. It's good stuff he's putting out on social media. It's been pretty funny, hasn't it? Stan having 
dinner with Stan. He celebrated his birth- birthday with all the other Stans. From an Australian point of view, Daria Gavrilova's been having an interesting go at social media, though, too, during this time. I think she might be losing her mind just a little bit. Did she have the aerobics going the other day? And last <laughs> night had the Clippers out on Luke Saville, just with the SA mullet going there. In fact, a little plug, because Dash is going to join our Aussies Only podcast uh, coming out. Later this week with Jed Zetzer and Jay Geems is going to sit down and she was trying to get back and now she's been delayed even more. She must be absolutely um, uh, doing her head in uh, with no tennis uh, for the majority of last year and looks like it could be maybe all of this year. And I should give a little plug, Grothy, because I did see you pop up on the box over the weekend. Uh, the greatest, uh, looking at the greatest Australian Open matches in history, you and Todd there in the studio. And is this, uh, is this a regular thing we're going to see each week? Yeah, well, it's going to be a regular... Uh, show 3.30 on a Saturday on Channel 9 for as as long as we're sort of in the current situation we are. Obviously, no live sport anywhere going on around the world. So we're going to bring some of the best Australian Open matches through history. I think this week on Saturday, we're going to look back at Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka, that upset from this year's Australian Open, and then a look back at the Nadal-Djokovic final from 2012. That was an epic. So they'll be the two matches that we're covering this weekend. I tell you, I did enjoy S. Williams, M. Sharapova with that 205 AO semi. And even going back then, so you got a 19-year-old Sharapova who'd won Wimbledon two years before. And, and obviously, you could just see the intensity of that rivalry back then. Serena, as she's done all her career, picks herself off off the canvas, saves off match points, beats Sharapova, goes on to dominate Sharapova for the last 16, 17 years. We always knew Maria was pretty loud. Uh, grothy but I reckon it's actually fallen back a notch when you listen to that final that semi-final on the weekend that was loud well she was 17 at the time you got to remember Sharapova and it was 2-1 the head-to-head for Sharapova heading into that match and had match points and looking back at both of them how well did they both move in 2005 as well they were definitely different athletes to look at and and the way obviously the games evolved and changed since then Serena went with obviously the big power approach uh, moving forward, but you think about that matchup, and Sharapova had match points to make her way into the final, and almost had looked like she had the confidence to really beat Serena, and lost mm. that match, sort of almost choked it away a little bit, and only ever won two more sets in 17 more meetings between the two of them. So it was definitely a turning point in that. Well, so I think Chris Clary called it the unrivalry. It was going to be one of the biggest rivalries, looked like that, but it just never really eventuated. It was so one-sided. Yeah, total dominance, no doubt. You can join us tonight, one 736 736 because there's plenty of people in the world of tennis with a lot of time on their hands. So if you want to pick up the phone tonight and tell us what's happening in coaching land, club land, player land, your observations of what's happening on the world stage, we're going to get into the guts of that right now. one 736 736 So what we know, tennis remains on hold at all levels until at least July 13, following the cancellation of Wimbledon last week, which came as no great surprise. Another major sporting event has been shaken by the coronavirus pandemic. For the first time since 1945, Wimbledon has been cancelled. It stinks, you know, uh, with, like everything else with this virus. What a shame. I mean, I've been coming there every year since 73. I've missed one. And the 134th championships will instead be staged from the 28th of June to the 11th of July 2021. You know, we adapt to the new situation and we try our best there. It's the second major to be interrupted this year with the French Open postponed until September 20. Obviously, in, in the tennis world, it's uh, it's it's heartbreaking. And hopefully we'll get to watch uh, these amazing players play again, but right now it's about staying safe. 
the voices of Martina Navratilova, we heard Andy Roddick in that package. I mean, the strong consensus, Grothy, now is that the break will probably be longer unless the situation improves significantly in Europe, which is home to the majority of the players. North America, uh, when the main hardcore season is due to begin in July, we can see what's unfolding in New York and in Queens in particular. I was talking to a a lady that I met at the US Open two years ago. She writes for the one of the Latino uh, newspapers in Queens. So she's right in the heart of the pandemic. And she said to me over the weekend, 99% sure that the US Open uh, won't go ahead. So credit to Wimbledon, though, just to backtrack before we look forward. So Wimbledon have taken out insurance and credit to their risk management team, their uh, team that sort of look after this whole area. In the case of a, a pandemic, a once in a lifetime sort of event so they're they're going to be covered but you can see why the french open is so desperate to play why the us open if they can avoid having to not play i mean they stand to lose about 400 million dollars the french stand to lose about 300 million dollars yeah i mean obviously lucky that wimbledon or the aeltc all england lawn tennis club they took out that insurance but it just looks more and more likely that we're not going to get to play tennis this year i think you hear about the football or the AFL trying to obviously move everybody into one area and they can play under isolation. Well, tennis can't do that. Players are coming from all over the globe. It's such an international sport with the field that makes up every tournament. And yep. you look this week at the USTA, you know, the Billy Jean King National Tennis Centre have been turned into a, a hospital at the moment. And, and you just think, well, how are we going to get to the point where that's you know going to host a tennis tournament anytime soon? I just, you don't really want to write the year off just yet but it's sort of hard to sit here where we are currently right now with the current situation and and think that we're going to get back out there it's a tough one so in in the situation that we might so let's just look at what's on the table at the moment so at the top of the game the issue of much intrigue is obviously the battle between the french open organizers and the other six stakeholders of tennis due to their decision we've discussed over the last few weeks to go rogue without appropriate consultation and change the date scrothy from may to september which has put them on a huge collision course with the 2020 calendar what we know is there is a lot of discussion obviously currently taking place to resolve this they're under intense pressure the French to push back at least another week if we were going to go ahead to provide a bigger buffer for players to recover from the US Open and shift to the clay but what this would create is new conflicts including one with the China Open which is a top tier women's event uh, scheduled to begin in early October in Beijing and this was Canadian Vashik Pospisil, who was on our show two weeks ago, a member of the ATP Player Council. It doesn't seem that the governing bodies have much power if, if uh, you know, an individual event can just make such a dramatic move. It's, it's, it's very clear that, that there are, you know, especially the Grand Slams, that they're just their, their, own, they're their own entity, you know, they're their own events. And so I think what, what needs to happen, in my opinion, I mean, look, I mean, if I was, you know, running the show and this is just, this is just my, my opinion, and it's, I don't know if this is what's going to happen or not, but, you know, there needs to be uh, some kind of penalty or repercussions for this because you can't, I mean, it would just set a horrible precedent if, if you know, you just kind of let this slide. So, Grothy, just before we go to a couple of calls, a quote from Jim Currier this week, the former world number one winner of the French, of course. From what I'm hearing, the French Open has recognised pretty quickly the error of stepping on people's toes without giving them enough warning. So they know they're in the wrong. And and if we're going to go ahead, uh, there's no way the rest of the stakeholders are going to allow the French Open to have it in the dates that they want. Well, there's no way every other slam is going to allow the French Open to to take any slot and and without a consultation between all them 
But yeah, again, like everything, there's so much still to play out in this matter, and you know they've, they've stepped on a lot of toes. And I think if they if they've got to make a decision how they proceed if we do start to play, there's got to be a lot more conversations than the zero conversations that happened previously. Absolutely. You're listening to the first serve, your home of tennis on a Monday night. Greg has uh, given us a call this evening. Welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for taking my call. Um, Pleasure. I'm actually, good on you. I'm actually ringing about the much maligned Nick Kyrgios. Interesting comment today saying that people are having trouble putting food on the table. Can they reach out to him and you'll see what he can do? What did you get from... What, what's that about? Well, I mean... I think he's trying to do something good. I think that Nick obviously has had his troubles off the court. Oh, sorry, on the court. We've all seen that over time. But off the court, he actually does a lot when it comes to junior tennis. To He, he has his foundation. And, you know, he definitely recognizes uh, people when they're struggling off the court. I actually give him a lot of credit for what he does off the court, even through all the struggles he's had on the court. Um, you know, what, what he can do for people, I, I don't know. And, you know, only Nick can, I guess, speak to his motives behind it. But I, I think Nick does a lot of great stuff off the court, Brett. Well, I mean, I'm sure you have an opinion as well. Oh, look, there's, you know, two sides, isn't there? I mean, he's a, he's a fascinating watch, Grothy. I, I don't profess to know Nick all that well, and I've only interviewed him a couple of times, and I've had a bit to do with his manager in the last 12 months just trying to understand Nick Kyrgios. And there's a lot of probably misconceptions. What we see in public is not what we'd see behind the scenes, and... You know, it's always hard to cast a total judgment on someone you uh, you don't know. In this business, we have to have an opinion. I've had my strong opinions uh, in the past, but from what I understand, you know, Nick is uh, is a young guy with a with a decent soul, and I think his heart's in the right place. And what becomes of him on and off the court will be uh, fascinating down the track. Good on you, Greg. Thank you. Tony's in East Bentley. Welcome to you, Tony. Good day, gentlemen. The way the virus is tracking around the world, do you think? Come December, January this year, there's no tennis played, that they could park the top two, 300 players in Australia for two or three months and say have the Aussie Open this time next year and just play lead-up tournaments around the country to get the tour go- going back on board? Yeah, Grothy, uh, because I think there's a few scenarios on the table for the AO. Either it doesn't happen or two, they play with no crowds or as they've discussed, and I think this was quoted on Offsiders yesterday, is that they'll bring the players into Australia, quarantine them for about two weeks and and hopefully they can get some tennis happening. I, I know that TA is working on all sorts of sort of contingencies and, and plans. Yeah, I'm sure Tennis Australia is probably, compared to most slams, they've got the time on their hands. They've got yep. until January. So they've got the normal off-season through December if they needed to bring people down and quarantine them and, and work that situation out. Oh, I mean, I hope, honestly, by the time January comes around, we've got some sort of normality happening. I mean, I hope that that's Please. not where we're going to be because <laughs> I can see your frustration right now. It's to think that we could still possibly be in this situation come January, and I think that's just what we, we don't know. Um, mm. you know I mean, it's the first week of April. So we've got time before the Australian Open comes around. Can we bring everyone here? I mean, we all like to think because we're so isolated here in Australia, we can just bring everyone down and lock everyone here. But I think getting the players to to come down and want to spend three months in Australia as well, Mm. it's a tough ask. Yeah, we get them here for a month and everyone loves it, but they're sort of all ready to leave after that month. 
So just to tidy up, thank you, Tony, for your call. Just to tidy up, obviously, the French Open situation. This was the International Tennis Federation president. If you missed our show a couple of weeks ago, David Haggerty, who was on our show, he was asked by Grothy about the role and the relevance of the ITF in the event that a Grand Slam can just pick themselves up and move. Tennis is uh, is organised uh, differently than some other sports. Uh, as, as you know, we have really seven stakeholders, the ITF, uh, the two tours, the ATP, the WTA, and then the four Grand Slams are also very important. Uh, I think tennis, uh, you know, uh, does best when we collaborate together, and I think that is something that, um, you know, we, we try to do, uh, and it's something that I think is important, and some of these recent decisions, I think, have gotten tennis, uh, you know, talking again, uh, trying to collaborate, looking at the calendar. I can tell you that there are conversations and dialogue going on with the, the tours uh, as well as other events to try to get an understanding of what the rest of the year is going to be like. I think, Grothy, as this situation unfolds more, and Christopher Clary, who's a great writer for the New York Times, he has written over the weekend, disputes over finances and space on the calendar – are already underway with more turf wars looming. It's just a fascinating watch from the outside, isn't it? And there's a few more quotes I'll give you throughout the show from different players across the weekend. The tennis right now needs unity more than any other time. They've got some time because the tennis year is so busy. Everyone's caught up in just week-to-week life on tour, in and out of cities and countries. Now they've actually got some time to all sit down, all these stakeholders, to put everything on the table and try and work out what is the best path for tennis going forward so we don't have any of these conflicts. Mate, I've never been so frustrated as I was speaking to David Haggerty that night because he couldn't give us a clearer answer on anything that we asked him in terms of the conversations happening between these seven stakeholders he kept speaking about. We've seen the statements released, the A to V and the WTA. I feel like they're on the same page. Most of the Grand Slams are on the same page. I think it's David Haggerty's job to actually pull his head out of his butt, if you ask me, because he's the one that's over the last couple of years since he took over that role in the ITF, he's the one that hasn't had communication with the players, with the tours. And the ITF, I think, is is largely to blame for this defragmentation that we're seeing in Mm. the calendar at the moment as well. Yeah, it's one that uh, will continue to uh, bubble away. We do need to get a break in. There's a few other things I want to touch on, and we'll uh, welcome in a couple of young Australians who have certainly been impacted. You might know much about their journey, but they're two Aussies who are trying to forge a career in uh, tennis, of course, and we'll discuss that very, very shortly. And keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. You can go back and listen to all our past shows. Our Aussies only podcast will resume this week. As I mentioned, Jed Zetzer and Jake Eames will have an extended chat to Daria Gavrilova on the comeback trail, which has certainly been put on hold at the moment. That will be available to listen to from Thursday in our podcast section of our website. And Crunching the Numbers going beautifully with Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonard. You can listen to episodes one to four with another addition to land a little bit later on this week and all part of our additional content to complement our show here on a Monday night. And our team of writers putting together some really good quality content as well. I'm going to discuss one of those articles with Grothy shortly. You can find it all at thefirstserve.com.au. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell or have that property investment managed, make sure you make contact with David and his team, 95584599 or top-agents.com.au and you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. More of The First Serve shortly. The First Serve, your home of tennis.
Welcome back to the first serve on this uh, Monday night. Gee, a little bit uh, darker at this time of the night, getting used to it. Um, we've uh, enjoyed a bit of daylight saving, uh, Grothy, but that's all gone and no tennis. We've just got to, uh, got to be creative, don't we? This is a test of all of us as human beings. Just navigate hour by hour. I don't know what I'm doing with myself most of the time. <laughs> I was doing a thousand-piece puzzle today. It's the most patient you'll have ever seen me in my entire life. Yeah, okay. I lasted for about 30 minutes before yeah. I wanted to finish it. Yeah, I can't even picture you uh, doing a thousand-piece uh, puzzle. Uh, Dave in Richmond has given us a call. Dave, great to have you part of the first serve. Good evening. Yeah, that, that, those uh, Australian Open finals seem like, seem like years ago now. I was going to say, um, I've noticed this trend for ticket prices keep going through the roof every year of the tennis. We used to go to Margaret Court for about $60 on the middle weekend. It's now 125 for the same ticket. With everything that's going on, are the players going to come back and play for not too much because it's the tickets that actually provide most of the prize money, I imagine? Well, obviously, broadcast rights take a lot of the... Uh, that's where a lot of the revenue comes from. But the Australian, it's become this huge event now. It's all about the fans and, and the food and the drinks and the the bands and the atmosphere. And I think we're going to see it in not just tennis, but a lot of sports. Surely you can't think that the money's going to be... And obviously, the players... And I'm not... I don't know any info, but you can't think that the money is going to be the same in prize money and keep going up like it has in the last few years. If we're talking about having a year off and everyone's going to be hurting this year, that come 2021, if we're back on a full schedule, everyone's going to front up with the same cash again next year. Yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be fascinating. Uh, all the bean counters in, in tennis across all sports, we can we can see the pressure uh, domestically here with the AFL, the the NRL, and and, and tennis. It's global nature trying to. Uh, look at the economics uh, going forward is, is going to be uh, really fascinating. But one thing we know, Grothy, is that we've got 63 Aussie men who have an ATP ranking. We have 41 Aussie women who have a WTA ranking. And like all the players around the world, have had to down tools. And we we're keen tonight to have a chat to a, a couple of young Australians who are trying to forge a career in the game. And I want to welcome their rings. They're both going to be on the line at the same time. Uh, Gabriella De Silva Fick, who is from New South Wales, but she's been living down here in Melbourne for some time, training, and uh, her current ranking at 543. And Matthew Romios, a little older at 21, who's a Melbourne born and bred at 582 in the world. And, and how this pandemic is going to affect a lot of players who are trying to make tennis their living long term. Gabriella, first of all, welcome to you. Thank you for having me on. Nice to have you on the show. And Matthew, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, guys, how's this affecting you both? Firstly, to you, Gabriella. I mean, this is an odd time for all of us. You're used to being a professional tennis player, being able to just get out and do what you love, you know, trying to work your way to making a living out of the sport. Tell us how this period's affecting you personally. Um, I've been home in Sydney now for about three weeks, and I would say the first week was quite difficult I felt a bit lost with my training and my mindset and then and then finding out that the tour had been further suspended to July you know you just feel a bit lost on your goals and your focus but um I've I've got a bit of a routine now I think I've been training as much as I can off course and that's keeping me sane but it's also a good opportunity to work on um my mindset take time to kind of do whatever I want to do it, start some courses online in business and yeah so it's been difficult but at the same time everyone is in the same boat for you matt how do you get yourself through this period of uncertainty and what have you been doing to i guess keep yourself tennis fit match fit you're not really going to be match fit at this stage but 
how do you sort of prepare and how long do you expect this to last? Yeah, so I've probably been home now for two weeks. I haven't really left the house. I'm fortunate enough to have a bit of a home gym at home. So I've been getting in a lot of hours in the gym. gives me well, I've got a lot of time now to, to work on my body and do a lot of rehab, you know, get everything right. So, But I think, you know, these tournaments, like I don't think things are going to be starting till towards the end of this year. Just tennis being an international sport, it's hard to try and get all the countries to have all their travel bans lifted. And by the time that all happens, I think it could be as late as October, November this year. So I don't think missing on-court time now is too big of a deal if, like in the big picture. So I'm just trying to get my body right, hit the gym and yeah, make sure I'm at least strong and feeling good when I can get back out and start yeah, I think we, we both share that view, Matt, about the tour if we're reading the tea leaves. I, I just want to go back and play this grab. We had a guest on our show last week, and we know that some tournaments, particularly the lower tier events, are in. And there's talk about them maybe you know disappearing without insurance or, for now, any guarantee of a financial bailout. And there's a lot going on with players, tournaments. There are the lower ranked players who have joined forces around the world to petition for financial relief, led by Georgia's Sophia Shepatava, who did join us on the show last week. This is a topic that's been going on in tennis for years and years. It's not a problem that just appeared right now or probably will disappear tomorrow. Obviously, it existed, and unfortunately, I think it will exist for a longer time. It's just right now, it's a very unusual situation, something that never happened, and it hits everyone very hard. I have many players, obviously, that are ranked lower, 150 and 200 in the world, and I know many, many players who struggle to pay rent, not next month, not in two months, like, already this month the difference and the gap between prize money on the higher tournaments and on the lower tournaments it's incredible i got a lot of negativity of this petition because people think that i'm asking for funding of a tennis player's tennis career actually that's not the case i'm talking about the fact that many tennis players cannot pay for their everyday life not everyone has someone who can help them out like i have for example him my coach is helping me out a lot right now so that was sophia shepatava last week and that petition seems to have really um you know grown and uh, even Novak Djokovic has you know come out and made some statements in the last week about trying to support the players who are trying to make their way Gabriella to you first I mean you're trying to work your way towards making a living out of the sport can you give our listeners just a bit of a feel of how tough I mean you won the 12 nationals 16s 18s you've been building through the juniors I know you've had a little bit of support from the Women's Tennis Foundation in in trying to meet some of those costs in, in transitioning to the, the pro tour. But this is not an easy sport to make it. And if there's no tennis for the remainder of this year, where, do, where does that you know, sort of leave you in <laughs> in trying to look at the finances of the whole operation? Yeah, well, that's a good question, really, because we have no income at the moment from tennis. Um, and there doesn't seem like there is much support coming from any organisations. We've kind of been left to our own devices Um I've been lucky enough that the Colorado Tennis Centre run by the Evolve Academy, um, Ryan and Scott Fletcher, they've been giving me free court hire, stringing rackets, and I think it's those community actions that will really help us younger tennis players in Australia to to keep training and keep having opportunities to um, keep working towards our goals. Um, On another note, yet. Income-wise, it's a really difficult spot at the moment. I mean, my dad owns a cafe, so I've been working there a couple shifts just to have some sort of income and a bit of a change of scenery. But it, it is going to be very hard for tennis players, I think, especially from 
200 ranks to about 600 and onwards, who knows how they'll be able to come back from this. Both of you at times have come under that Tennis Australia support banner, though. Matt, has there been any uh, communication from our governing body in terms of support for you guys, whether it's, well, I guess it's it's as much mentally as anything, but has there been anybody reach out and and trying to help the Australian players through this? Personally, I'm not really under a a specific contract with Tennis Australia, so I haven't had too much anyone reaching out. I've had a few coaches from Tennis Australia that I've known for a while now obviously message me and ask how things are going and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not really a contracted player. I don't have like an assigned coach. So in that sense, I don't really have anyone helping out. But I think my family's always been like real supportive for me. They've always got me through tough times. I've had big stints of injuries before and time off tennis. So I'm grateful I've got you know, good family and friends that get me through times like this. But I know like not everyone's in the same boat. Some people already moved out of home and you know paying rent and they got no income now so it's tough for them but yeah there's like not really much we can do about it stage yeah brett i think this is where obviously financially for all these players just like most of us through this time all of our work's dried up i mean i i broadcast on tennis there's no tennis being played it makes it very difficult i work on a travel show you can't travel so i think financially it's tough but i i mean and again not being involved in that tennis australia situation myself at the moment at all you know, I think that's one way you can still support the players, though, is at least check in. Would you say there's 61 Aussie guys and and 40 something women on the rankings? You know, even just to pick up the phone for 15 minutes and you know, and just even offer, is there anything we can do if you need to speak to someone? I, I feel like it'd just be a small way to help probably some of these athletes through this time. Yeah, well, certainly from what I understand, I had a little. Uh, I've had a few discussions over the last a few days. So obviously, TA are working through a a heap of scenarios for coaches in particular. Sometimes. And Matt and Gabrielle, you can talk to this because the, the coaches are also going to go through a, a really difficult period, uh, not being able to be employed, but they're looking at you know help with processing government funding packages, access to the TA loan scheme, uh, individual business support advice through access to a company called Employment Innovation, uh, wellbeing support, as we spoke about, uh, professional development resources, resources to keep engaging players uh, during the period, uh, looking at uh, membership renewal for coaches, but nothing to announce uh, just yet on that. So TA are working through a, a whole heap of scenarios. So if it got to the latter part of this year, Gabriella, and there's no no tennis being played, does it make you have to rethink whether you continue on the tennis path or is it just too early to sort of even think about that at the moment? Yeah, I think at the moment it's too early. Um, that would be quite heartbreaking and I would... I am lucky, like Matt said as well, to have a family who's been financially supporting me. Um, And especially now being in Sydney, I don't have to worry about extra expenses that I would have had if I was living by myself in Melbourne. Um, But I think if there's a possibility of this whole year being um, scrapped on the tennis tour, then most players will have to start looking at other forms of income. Um, I, I would hope personally that that isn't a permanent decision. Um, at the moment, it's too early. I think I have, hopefully, the support to be able to come back from this, but I'm not sure if there are 90% of players in the same position as myself. Yeah. I reckon if this year keeps going the way it is, I'll be able to get myself back in decent shape and make it come back next year. I've got that much time. <laughs> We're not going to get to play tennis this year. <laughs> 
Hey, hey, Matt, just one last one for you. We really appreciate you coming on, guys. We'd love to spend probably an hour just chatting to you, but we're always him for time on this show. It always happens. The hour is out. But uh, if it's not tennis you're playing, I mean, what are, what are the other things that greatly interest you? Because, uh, you know, for I mean, I was listening to a couple of interviews today in AFL circles. I mean, this is an opportunity to actually look at your own professional development, isn't it? I mean, I've looked a lot now at the uh, mental side of my game. I've been watching a lot of tennis, like, online. Like, like watching all the matches, going through everything, taking stats, you know. It's a great opportunity for me to like learn more about the game, I guess. Not just about not just go out there and play play tennis just to play tennis. I think I'll be a lot more grateful now when I get back on court and I think a lot of players will be a lot more grateful now when they get back on court and realise how much they missed the game and yeah, all that all that sort of stuff. Hey, guys, thank you for just sharing a little insight. It's not an easy sport to make it. You've got to go on an, an incredible journey, make a lot of sacrifice, and, and hopefully uh, this all gets sorted. We can resume business as usual in our lives and, and for you guys as professional tennis players. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Thank you yeah, for having us. Gabrielle at De Silva Fick and also Matthew Romios, uh, New South Wales, Victoria, respectively. They're in the 500s. They're working their way through at 19 and 21 years, respectively. Not an easy time, certainly. Uh, Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning uh, coaching program at Eaglemont since 2002. 20 teams, junior adult programs, along with private lessons available. Discover more at yarratennis.com.au. Plenty more to come on The First Serve, your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Brett Phillips, Sam Groth with you on a Monday night. Of course, our new time, 6 o'clock throughout this period with a few adjustments to our programming here at SEM. So we settle into 6 o'clock. Grothy, there's a few things I want to try and run past you and get your response in the next 15 minutes or so. So we heard from Sophia Shepatava last week. We just heard from a couple of young Aussies. Now, over the weekend, and I want to give this some context. So the Lawn Tennis Association, the LTA, over in London announced approximately a £20 million package of additional funding and measures to support venues, coaches, officials and players. So the focus obviously is to try and protect the grassroots, but also measures have been put in place to support the British professional players and coaches, including financial grants for some lower-ranked players. So they're in that bracket of sort of the, you know, 101 to the 750 rankings bracket. So as we told you on the show last week, Tennis Australia is working through all the government packages to try and support clubs, coaches to uh, utilise that government available money as much as they can, as much as we're all uh, entitled to do over this next six months. So just to give it some context, Grothy, because when you read the article over the weekend about the LTA, it sounds like all the money is actually coming directly from them. But the UK operates differently in that lotto money is allocated largely to facility investment. The government also paid 80% of staff costs, so they stood down most of their staff to pay for the hardship fund. So in Tennis Australia's case, and I've been reading a lot of you know uh, general comments and commentary across different forums, they have the balance of obviously funding the game and also the event side, obviously the biggest one being the Australian Open. So if they give significant funding to the coaches now, for example, it would probably, from my understanding, cripple the AO funding for years to come. So it's my understanding that the club's right now, and if anyone begs to differ, you can give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The clubs right now aren't necessarily screaming out for funding. As we said during that last interview, TA's looking at all the measures they can through the government to support tennis 
here domestically, but we do operate differently to the LTA over in London. Yeah, we certainly do. I remember when I used to train over there, obviously we were based out of there for a long period of time with the AIS when I was sort of 18 to 22. And you actually see the sign up that was paid for by the UK lottery on most of their tennis centers. So it is funded differently. You mentioned that they also had the insurance payout they're going to get. Obviously that's not going to happen around the Australian Open, but yeah, I'm sure, and again, not being involved in any of the conversations, you've probably spoken to more people than I have just by the information you've got. But I think we're going to try and look after our community as best we can, but it's affecting so much more than the tennis players. And I know, for example, John Millman's been quite outspoken and has probably met with a little bit of criticism in being so also because he's a guy that's done fairly well for himself in recent times and Johnny's one of my good mates. And, you know, I'm sure he's looking you know, not just in himself, but the broader tennis community to get help. But, you know, it's it's a very interesting, rare situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and certainly at the top level, who will take the priority? The players and their support teams or the tournament and their staff members and all of this? As we know, for example, the ATP is, you know, 50-50 players and tournaments in its governance structure. The question now is whether the players... Grothian, we chatted about this with Vashik Pospisil a couple of weeks ago, whether they'll create a player union. There was a quote from John Isner across the weekend. What always uh, sort of hampered us to try to change things is the fact we're always playing and always so busy. And now we have all this time on our hands to assess things. If there was a situation that could arise, I would imagine it would be right now in that the players set up that union. And Sven Gronovell, I mean, well, renowned coach. He's coached some of the biggest names in the game for a long time. He's an interesting guy to follow on social media. Tennis is a non-profit ecosystem at the top, ATP, WTA, ITF, without a proper professional structure and not allowing for any player union with their bylaws. And this sets us apart and is not invited due to the multitude of conflicts of interest. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. There is so many conflicts. You're right. The players have always struggled to find a time to get themselves together and say, we're going to have this break where we can put everything on the table. There's been speak or talk for years about skipping a tournament or missing a Grand Slam or boycotting an event and trying to create um, a union and do all these things. Like John said, they've got the time now. If there's a time they're going to do it, if it doesn't happen in 2020, it won't happen. There's no better time for them to do that. But again, it's this whole governance structure of tennis that you and I have been through so many times. The ATP is a business. The WTA is a business. They run tennis organ. They both run tennis tours, but they're, they're two separate organizations fighting really in the mm-hmm. same market. Yeah. They're both prying for eyes and broadcast rights. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that's really missed. I think when everyone speaks of equal prize money and all these things, they're, they're two organizations who are basically battling each other. And they always have last one on this sort of topic, if you like, and we'll shift to a few other things after the break, but Alex Johnson's written a piece on our website today. I encourage you to read it. Should there be more team tennis with all forms of tennis on an enforced hiatus? Perhaps it's time that the governing bodies really think about the future direction of the game in terms of entertainment, fan engagement, the current calendar seems to be awash with several lacklustre events clustered together throughout the season that draw little or no response from fans and even players. Now, that's not to disrespect any events at 250 level, 500 level. I mean, you've you, you've got to have a, a, a pathway, if you like, to uh, reaching Masters 1000 level and the Grand Slams. But what's your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, with the Labor Cup, which has been a huge success 
with uh, the ATP Cup, which got a uh, pretty good response. So th- does this give tennis now a real chance to reset and look at, Grothy, what it does in terms of its structure? Well, I think you got a chance to look at it. Obviously, team events have been successful, but any event that has Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal playing, they're going to be successful. Um, I know World Team Tennis this week, they announced $1,000 for every player that they had on their books. I think with a team tennis structure where you're employed by an organisation, it gives you more uh, security around that environment and obviously world team tennis that season might not go ahead but they've at least got that security with having their players contracted yeah plenty more to be discussed on that but should there be more team tennis have a read of that at the firstserve.com.au we'll come back with our final segment on this monday night brett phillips and sam groth with you you're listening to the first serve your home of tennis check out the firstserve.com.au Welcome back, our final part of the first serve on this uh, Monday night. Thanks to starting from scratch, they offer premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches. Uh, Steve and his team doing a beautiful job. They bring it back to its former glory, whether it's scratches in the sliding door that your pet dog has caused. Grothy, your dogs are running ragged at uh, Club Groth. Uh, to the local uh, milk bar that has uh, a bit of graffiti tag with a knife, they can remove it. So head to starting from scratched. ED on the m.com.au. Now, last week, as I was trying to wind you up, but we couldn't see each other, so I'm going to give you another minute because we didn't really finish the Davis Cup discussion if we were going to go ahead. I had to cut you off a little bit. Now, I mentioned that I reckon, for mine, Todd Woodbridge needs to become part of our doubles fold because that is what could be the decisive factor if we are to progress a bit further and go nice and deep. We've got a good team. We've got depth. Grothy, you've got at least another extra minute than you had last week. <laughs> Trying to throw me back under the bus again here to get my picks, but no, you're right. We do have depth. I do agree. Todd is probably our best, one of our best tennis brains, not just on the doubles court, but just in yep. in general. And I know Leighton has lent on him a little bit. Now, whether he needs to bring him in a little bit uh, more regularly or work with a team in the lead up to these sort of big team events when we're a part of that. Um, yeah, I know last week you did ask me on my thoughts on who is our, our best team and, and how the makeup of that team looks. And, you know, I, I'd love to see Pizzi get back to the point where he selects himself no matter what, like he did for so long there when he was number two in the world. He won the Australian Open, you know, was, was mm. going great guns. I don't think uh, just purely based on, you know, his results recently and that little bit of a drop in ranking that he's that automatic selection. Now, I'd love him still yep. to be, but also don't think Saville and Purcell are their automatic selection based on a one tournament run either. So there's a lot there to play out and for us to pick a doubles team, but it's certainly something we need to work on. No doubt uh, we'll continue that discussion. I have been told today the US college system, which has been a great breeding ground uh, for uh, many nationalities. The Americans, a lot have gone through there. A lot of our young Aussies have gone through there. They're giving the players another year of their tennis scholarship, so they're still continuing their studies online. And I, I just wonder... Grothy, through all of this, whether more might defect to the college pathway, which gives you a little bit more security, if you like, in you know not putting all the eggs in the one basket of trying to be a pro player. Yeah, my wife actually played Division One college tennis in the US, so she got her education doing that way. I think it's a great option for a lot of players. My other question is, with all this time that we're missing out on, is are we going to see a lot more upsets when the tour returns? That's probably my question. If, if no one's played tennis for a year... Does that give people who, you know, maybe the underdog a little bit more of an advantage? I'm not sure. Possibly. Yeah, it could happen more. It could happen more. And then there's the question, could Roger and Serena come yeah. back after a year at nearly 40 
and finish their uh, careers in glory. It'd be quite extraordinary. Thank you, Sam. Nice work. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. Cheer, cheer, red and the white. He's got the Swans cap on tonight. Firstserve.com.au is where you need to log on to. You can go back and listen to all our past shows. We've got more podcasts going up this week. Some great written content from our team of writers. And Grothy and I will be back 6 o'clock next Monday night to do it all again and somehow find things to do. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our latest show with myself and Grothy. We'll be back next Monday night on SCN. And, of course, you can go to thefirstserve.com.au. All our live shows are podcasts. You can go back through the archives and listen to any of our shows. Also, our special theme podcast, Aussies Only and Crunching the Numbers, and also our written content. Plenty there, thefirstserve.com.au. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.